Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 77, Revelation 10, verses 1 through 2. Revelation 10, Overview. The Angel of the Lord, the Seven Thunders, No More Delay, The Mystery of God, and the Little Book of Final Prophecies. With the first six trumpets having been blown, Revelation 10 functions as a transition of sorts, opening the door to a series of events in Revelation 11 through 14 that are not sequential in terms of the end times timeline. In fact, the events of Revelation 11 through 14 can get a bit confusing with certain events reaching back in time to the beginning of the first three and a half year period of the tribulation, then forward again to the midway mark of the tribulation. There are even some events that reach further back in time outside of the end times to trace a bit of history between Israel and the dragon, also known as Satan. But all of it leads to the blowing of the seventh and final trumpet judgment and the marvelous event known as the rapture of the church, which is completed before the spirit begins once again with the sequential approach through the second three and a half year period of the tribulation and the seven bowls of wrath. These next chapters will be a very bumpy ride, to say the least. So let's get started in this traditional chapter and explore the, quote, setup that helps frame and give context to what we will study in Revelation chapters 11 through 14. Revelation 10, 1 through 11. I saw another strong angel now coming down out of heaven, having chosen to being clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he is now having in his hand a little book, which having been caused to be opening, he places his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion chooses to now roar. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I had already been about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven now saying, You are commanded to seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw had been standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who is now living forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will choose to be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, When he is now about to now sound, then the mystery of God will be caused to be finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again now speaking with me and saying, you are commanded to now go take the book, which having been caused to be opening in the hand of the angel who has been standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel now telling him to give me the little book. And he now says to me, You are commanded to take it and commanded to eat it. It will make your stomach bitter 
but in your mouth, it will choose to be as sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they now say to me, you now must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Seven seals have been opened. Six trumpets have been blown. And the seventh remains. And it is a trumpet of greatest hope, a trumpet of fulfillment, a trumpet of victory and glory, a trumpet of salvation. While at the same time, it's a trumpet that leads to unfathomable doom. The angel of Yahweh. I saw another strong angel now coming down out of heaven. John saw another strong or literally a forcible angel now coming down from heaven. But this angel is different from the other angels we have seen. This angel is described with particular detail and his attributes set him apart from all other angels. I'll just tell you straight up. This forcible angel is likely none other than the angel of Yahweh, also known as Jesus, in the form that he revealed himself throughout the Old Testament. In Revelation 1, we saw a glorious picture of Jesus, one like a son of man, having chosen to being clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, and having been girded across his chest with a golden sash, his hair and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, as of having been caused to be glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he is now holding seven stars, and out of his mouth now choosing to be coming a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, which now shines in its strength. In Revelation 4, we saw Jesus as the one now choosing to be sitting on the throne. And he who is now choosing to be sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. In Revelation 5, we saw Jesus as a lion, heir to David's throne, and then as a lamb who had been being slain. It therefore should not surprise us that he now appears as the angel of Yahweh, as an armed warrior, which is also the picture of him that we will see in Revelation 19. And looking back on things, perhaps we already saw him in this form, as it is likely that he is also the angel who takes the censer and approaches the golden altar before the throne and fills the censer with fire from the altar and throws it to the earth. What followed were peals of thunder just like we see in our passage. This angel is described as a strong or forcible angel, like the strong angel that first proclaimed with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book? Or the strong angel which takes a huge millstone and throws it into the sea, announcing the doom of spiritual Babylon. Perhaps all these images of a strong angel refer to the angel of Yahweh wrapped in a cloud, having chosen to being clothed with a cloud. This angel comes down from heaven and our attention is drawn to the fact that he has chosen sometime in the past to being clothed with a cloud. It's rendered in the perfect middle participle. This is significant given the way clouds are used throughout the codex. Clouds form a covering or a wrapping around Yahweh as a means of diffusing his glory. Presumably, his glory would be too much for us to bear if it were not clouded over. Yahweh makes the clouds his chariots. 
The glory of Yahweh appeared in a cloud during the Exodus, and the same cloud descended upon the tabernacle of God. Yahweh said that he would come to Moses in a thick cloud when he would speak to Moses. Yahweh descended upon Mount Sinai in a thick cloud, and he appeared on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in a cloud. He went before the Israelites and led them from the time they left Egypt until the time they entered the promised land in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Yahweh also descended upon Solomon's temple in a thick cloud. And finally, Jesus ascended into heaven on a cloud, and he is coming back with the clouds. Thus, this cloud covering supports the idea that this strong angel is none other than Jesus appearing as the angel of Yahweh as he descends from heaven, having chosen to be wrapped or clothed in a cloud to diffuse the radiance of his glory. The rainbow. And the rainbow was upon his head. We see a rainbow only one other time in Revelation where there's a rainbow around the throne of Yahweh. Drawing from the story of Noah, the rainbow represents a promise, an everlasting covenant. And in this instance, with the blowing of the seventh trumpet, God fulfills the everlasting covenant, the promise he has made with his people. What was a great mystery is fulfilled. The head is an image of both authority and knowledge or reason. And this rainbow is a symbol of promise. Thus, the meaning of this image is that the one with ultimate authority and infinite knowledge can and will keep his promises. In Revelation 11, the beast will be given permission for a short time to wage war against the saints. But the rainbow upon the head of this strong angel is our assurance, our firm guarantee that our deliverance from this time of great suffering is just a moment away. Soon the people of God will be taken home and soon they will rest just as Yahweh promised. Face like the sun. And his face was like the sun. This is how Jesus, the risen son of man, was previously described in Revelation 1. And his face was like the sun, which now shines in its strength. This is also how Peter, James, and John saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. In effect, Jesus' physical body served the same function as the cloud covering, in that while he was on the earth, it kept the radiance of his glory from shining through and overpowering humanity. The Apostle Paul's experience was similar when he first encountered Jesus. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. As we know, you cannot look full on into the sun without some serious damage. The imagery is clear. The face of this angel is purposed on penetrating all darkness. Nothing will be able to hide from his face. His glare will penetrate all things. The light which comes from his face will be so pure, so bright, and so intense that all darkness will flee. In fact, those who live in darkness will not be able to stand. The sun will prevail. Feet like pillars of fire. And as feet like pillars of fire, we already connected this image with the pillar of fire by which Yahweh led the children of Israel at night. But this is also like the picture we get of Jesus as the risen son of man. His feet were like burnished bronze, as if having been caused to be glowing in a furnace. Pillars are firm, strong, stable, 
and they are not intended to move. They are fixed. And since his feet are like pillars of fire, this angel is fixed and determined to bring the final purification or judgment upon the earth. And all his adversaries will be consumed by this fire of judgment. Oaths. And swore by him who is now living forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will choose to be delay no longer. By the way, the word translated swore is also used for taking an oath. Keep in mind that we are commanded by Jesus not to swear or take an oath by either the earth or the heavens or anything else. He said, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And if we are not to make an oath by that which is created, it seems less likely that we are to make an oath by the creator, as if we can swear on behalf of God. The point being that it is only God who can swear an oath by God or upon himself. We are not to swear oaths because we rarely keep our word. In that light, it would seem likely that ordinary angels are also not permitted to swear oaths. For only Yahweh can fulfill that to which he commits via a promise or an oath. Only the creator, Yahweh Adonai, the Almighty, the Amen, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last can make binding oaths, as only he has the power and the authority to fulfill every word. Thus, when this angel swears that time no longer will be, that the time is up, the time is now, we can understand it to be a guarantee with no ifs, ands, or buts. All these details, once again, points to the high probability that this angel is the angel of Yahweh. We also know that when God made a promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. In like manner, we see this angel swearing by himself, by the one who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. The codex is clear. Jesus is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began, and he holds all creation together. But acting as an agent of the Father, who is the principal, creation is attributed at the same time to the Father. Accordingly, the angel swears by the fullness of the Godhead, as Yahweh is the only one with the power and authority to complete what he promises. Coming down. I saw another strong angel now coming down out of heaven. Finally, let's consider this little detail that John saw this angel now coming down. It's rendered in the present active participle. This is another clue we do not want to skip over. Every reference in Revelation to what we would think is Jesus's return is surprisingly rendered in the present tense and not the future tense. He has made up his mind. He chooses to now come. The timing of his second coming is in control of the Father. But make no mistake, Jesus even now comes to his own, just like he said to the churches of Ephesus, Pergamum, and Philadelphia. He comes, like that thief in the night, and fulfills each and every promise, whether for judgment or for blessing. The number six. 
By the way, this promise that he now comes is given six times in Revelation, with six being code for the number associated with mankind. Therefore, this is a message not just for those in his household, but for all of mankind. Jesus now comes. In terms of our lifespan, the time is short. The time is now. In terms of the end of days, the time is short. The time is now. The angel of Yahweh recapitulation. Looking at this combined image with the cloud, the sun, the pillars of fire, and we can throw in the seven thunders, this image communicates that this angel comes with a storm. He comes in judgment. He comes to conquer. But he also comes with a promise, the rainbow. And he intends on completing it now, not later. We will see this in the oath that he took. And since he is a strong or forcible angel, he has the innate power and the ability to follow through and fulfill every judgment and every promise. The descriptions of this strong angel are connected to the character and quality of the divine. Thus, this strong angel is likely none other than Jesus Christ and his appearance as the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. The Little Scroll, Revelation 10, verse 2 and verse 8. And he is now having in his hand a little book, which having been caused to be opening, then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again now speaking with me and saying, you are commanded to now go take the book, which having been caused to be opening in the hand of the angel who has been standing on the sea and on the land. It's important to note that both instances of open, as normally translated in most Bibles, are rendered in the perfect passive participle. Hence, it should be translated as having been caused to be opening. The significance of this is not to be missed. The scroll contains prophecies regarding many peoples and nations and languages and kings. However, the contents of the scroll are not some sort of new prophetic revelation, for this scroll had already been caused to be opening. Thus, the information on the scroll is not secret, and it was not just opened. It's been opened. However, by having John eat the scroll, God is in effect unveiling the understanding of something that God has already caused to be revealed to his servants, the prophets, throughout the Codex. Remember, Yahweh does nothing without first revealing his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. God is faithful. And he makes known to us all that he has revealed. It is always just a matter of time. By the way, this is not the same small scroll that was sealed with seven seals and then opened in Revelation 5. The prior scroll was a small scroll. This one is even smaller. It's a little scroll. If the scroll with the seven seals was a book, this would be a booklet. As in the Greek, this scroll is a diminutive form of the scroll with the seven seals. Sweet and bitter, Revelation 10, 8 through 10. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard now speaking with me and saying, you are commanded to go take the book, which having been caused to be opening in the hand of the angel who has been standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel now telling him to give me the little book. And he now says to me, you are commanded to take it and commanded to eat it. It will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth, it will choose to be as sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth, it was as sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Personal participation. 
It is important to know that this is the first time that John was asked to directly participate in a vision he was shown. This is not the only time, but it is the first. God is making all this very personal to John, and thus John's participation is essential. Internalization. This scroll contains information that Yahweh wants to be in John. It is not information that he is just to observe and pass on to us. Rather, it must first be within him. He must eat it and internalize the ramifications of this information. It will be sweet to the taste, but it will be caused to be bitter in his stomach. Being a message from Yahweh, it is sweet to the taste, as is every word spoken from the mouth of God. However, since this message of the scroll is judgment, doom, and serious destruction, of course it becomes bitter in John's stomach. Just the thought of the numbers of people who will die, how they will suffer, and all those who will fall away from Yahweh is beyond nauseating. It's a hard message to want to repeat. So Yahweh had to infuse this message into John's soul because he wants it all to be very personal. He wants John to be connected to it and to never forget it. It's also important to note that the command is rendered in the aorist tense. Thus, it is a command that is to, in effect, define John's overall life. We see the same kind of thing in the Codex where God brings the prophet Ezekiel a written word on a scroll that is filled with various pronouncements of doom, words of sorrow, and funeral songs. Yahweh makes Ezekiel eat it first, and it is sweet to the taste. And then once he has digested it, so to speak, he is to proclaim Yahweh's message to the people. Yahweh told Ezekiel, Son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, This is what Yahweh Adonai, the sovereign Lord, says. For some reason, these final messages, pronouncements of doom, words of sorrow, and so on, regarding many peoples and nations and languages and kings, are to sink deep into the soul of John and remain with him. Perhaps it is because Jesus was going to have John not just write this down for our benefit, but also have him continually tell others of the coming judgment. And he wanted John to be able to communicate that message with holy fear and passion and to never depart from this message. He wants John to communicate it exactly as it was given without distorting or softening a thing. The need for the internalization of this message becomes apparent later in the narrative when twice John bows before an angel in worship. It's quite an unfathomable thing given that John sees the resurrected son of man. Of course, he gets chastised for it by the angel he bows before, but it seems that it is far too easy for John to forget or downplay the significance of this revelation. Thus, Yahweh wanted to ensure that this message would, when it is all said and done, become a part of John's very being. Eat it. And he now says to me, you are commanded to take and commanded to eat it. Just as when John ate the little scroll, the angel now says to us, to take and eat of these sweet and bitter truths, hence the use of the present tense. This message is for now. Thus, in our reading and studying these prophecies, we are in effect eating the scroll. And although it is sweet to be in the word of God, feasting on his prophetic messages and discovering so many secrets embedded therein, it's also bitter when we, when we come to absorb the fact that so many people 
will suffer and die, including the bondservants of Yahweh. And so many of those in the household of God, the called, will go apostate. That truth is heartbreaking. The prophecies of Revelation are beyond glorious, sweet to the taste, and yet at the same time, they provide a very troubling and hard, uncompromising message. The bitter. The sea and the land, right foot and left foot. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. The angel who had been standing on the sea and on the land. This strong angel does something a bit peculiar, but very intentional. He purposefully sets his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. In so doing, this strong angel is declaring that Yahweh will have dominion and ownership over both the sea and the land. This is how kings of old would communicate dominance over a conquered foe. They would place a foot upon the neck of a conquered king, symbolizing that the conquered foe was now in complete subjection to the conquering king's rule and authority. The right foot. The promise will be fulfilled. As we have learned, the code reveals that the sea is a metaphor for the restless masses of humanity. And it is upon this sea that its right foot is set. The right side is a symbol of power and authority. Thus, this image conveys that this angel subdues all of humanity and the rule of the nations will be rightfully returned to Yahweh. In Revelation 9, we discuss the fact that during the time of the Tower of Babel, God disinherited the Gentile nations and gave them over to the rule of the kings of the earth, the angelic beings who were part of his heavenly council. Whereas he chose his people Jacob for his inheritance, his sole possession. Yet plan A has always been that at the end of the age, the son, Yahweh, would obtain the nations as his own inheritance. The father made this promise to the son. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This promise was also declared to the entirety of his heavenly council. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses or will possess all the nations. Thus, with this strong angel placing his right foot on the oceans, he is declaring that the fulfillment of this promise is nigh. It is right around the corner. In fact, it's a done deal waiting to happen as Yahweh the Son will receive his inheritance, the nations. The left foot, the promise will be fulfilled. The fact that this strong angel sets his left foot on the land is a layered symbol. On the one hand, it speaks of the fact that Yahweh is taking possession of the earth. The whole world, all of creation will be in subjection to him. For the ends of the earth will be his possession, just as the father promised. He will be the sole possessor and sole ruler of the world. The agency authority of the kings of the earth will be terminated. The enemy will be evicted and Yahweh will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over the earth as he takes his seat on David's throne. He will dispossess the kings of the earth to whom he gave administrative rule and they will be judged and receive their due punishment just as he previously declared. Yes, when the anger and the wrath of the sun is kindled, 
the kings of the earth will perish just like mere men, while so many of their kind, the demonic angels, will finally be punished. Isaiah 24, 21 through 23. In that day, Yahweh will punish the gods in the heavens and the proud rulers of the nations on earth. They will be rounded up and put in prison. They will be shut up in prison and will finally be punished. Then the glory of the moon will wane and the brightness of the sun will fade. For Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies, will rule on Mount Zion. He will rule in great glory in Jerusalem in the sight of all the leaders of his people. On the other hand, this layered symbol also speaks to the fact that Jesus is going to reclaim authority over his land. In other words, he will take over the territory of Israel, which is his land and his precious possession. The codex is clear. He owns the land and he will firmly establish his right of possession over the land. What has been will always be. As I said, all of this is a done deal simply waiting to happen as Yahweh, the son, will soon receive as his inheritance the nations. Keep in mind, this strong angel had been standing on the sea and on the land. Most Bible translations say that this strong angel stands on the sea and on the land, but it is not rendered in the present tense, but the perfect active participle. Thus, he had been standing. The implication for this is huge, for what has been will always be. The fact that he had been standing communicates that the dominance and authority of this strong angel, the angel of Yahweh, has been established from time past. This is nothing new. The angel of Yahweh always claimed both possession and dominance over the sea and the land, for the earth is Yahweh's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Even though he has let the forces of darkness have their day, so to speak, as his agents ruling over the nations, they have only done what their master, Yahweh Sabaoth, authorized and directed them to do. And that includes Satan, a servant of Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh Adonai has always been the one in control, and Yahweh Sabaoth has just used the agency of the angelic, both good and bad, to do his will in the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. There has never been a time when Yahweh was not the absolute sovereign despot, the master of all creation. His very name declares it so. Psalm 103.19, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 47, verses 2 and verses 7 through 9. For Yahweh, most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Daniel 4.17 This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. The promise fulfilled the seventh trumpet. All of this comes to its full consummation at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven now saying, The kingdom of the world has chosen to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. There is to be no mistaking this image. 
This angel is declaring dominance and supremacy. And who will be able to resist these mighty pillars of fire? Which adversary will be able to oppose his fiery purpose? No one will be able to resist the judgment that will ensue with the blowing of the seventh trumpet. All will be subjected to Jesus, Yahweh Adonai, the Almighty. The roar. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion chooses to now roar. The cry of this strong angel is loud and powerful and deserving of everyone's attention. It's a declaration that war has begun and the lion of the tribe of Judah is ready to spring into action. Clearly, this cry is intended to terrify and intimidate those who hear it. Yahweh roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble. Be silent before Yahweh, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. There is a passage in Jeremiah which connects all of this imagery and specifically points forward to the soon coming bold judgments where Yahweh gathers the nations of the earth as one gathers clusters of grapes from the vine and throws them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Jeremiah 25, 30-33 Yahweh will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for Yahweh has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And those pierced by Yahweh on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. Are you getting the picture in terms of the purpose and intention of this strong angel? This is a roar proclaiming the coming judgments of Yahweh that will be precipitated by the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It is the roar of one who is ready to pounce and one who is springing into action. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.